0: Let's pray.
1: Okay. Well, Jesus, we just thank you for your sweet, sweet love and forgiveness and grace that is just abounding at all times and all places. And God, we just, um, we just love you for that and for everything you ever are and do and it is. And um, God, we just ask that your heart would be shown today and that you would just bring clear communication and um, just that our hearts would be ready as we're uh, listening for your word and that you would speak clearly in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
0: Hannah is going to read the scripture today. Our scripture reading comes from Colossians 1, 1 through 23.
1: From Paul, who by God's will is an apostle of Christ Jesus, and from our brother Timothy. To God's people in Colossae, uh, who are our faithful brothers and sisters in union with Christ, may God our Father give you grace and peace. We always give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all God's people. When the true message, the good news, first came to you, you heard about the hope it offers. So your faith and love are based on what you hope for, which is kept safe for you in heaven. The gospel keeps bringing blessings and is spreading throughout the world, just as it has among you ever since the day you first heard about the grace of God and came to know it as it really is. You learned of God's grace from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant who is Christ's faithful worker on our behalf. He has told us of the love that the Spirit has given you. For this reason, we have always prayed for you ever since we heard about you. We ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will and with all the wisdom and understanding that his Spirit gives. Then you will be able to live as the Lord wants and will always do what pleases Him. Your lives will produce all kinds of good deeds, and you will grow in your knowledge of God. May you be made strong with all the strength which comes from His glorious power, so that you may be able to endure everything with patience, and with joy give thanks to the Father, who has made you, made you fit to have your share of what God has reserved for His people in the kingdom of the light." He rescued us from the power of darkness and brought us safe into the kingdom of his dear son, by whom we are set free, that is, our sins are forgiven. Christ is the visible likeness of the invisible God. He is the firstborn son, superior to all created things. For through him, God created everything in heaven and on earth, the seen and the unseen things, including the spiritual powers, lords, rulers, and authorities. God created the whole universe through him and for him. Christ existed before all things, and in union, in union with him, all things have their proper place. He is the head of his body, the church. He is the source of the body's life. He is the firstborn son who was raised from, the, from death in order that he alone might have the first place in all things. For it was by God's own decision that the son has in himself the full nature of God. Through the son, then God decided to bring the whole universe back to himself. God made peace through his son's blood on the cross, and so brought himself, brought back to himself all things, both on earth and in heaven. At one time, you were far away from God and were his enemies because of the evil things you did and thought. But now, by means of the physical death of his son, God has made you his friends in order to bring you holy, pure, and faultless into his presence.
0: Thank you, Hannah. Amen. For it was by God's own decision, the Son has in Himself the full nature of God. Through the Son, then, God decided to bring the whole universe, say whole universe, universe. back to Himself. And He made peace through His Son's blood on the cross, and so brought back to Himself all things. I want you to say that, all all things. So, what is missing from the words all things? Absolutely nothing. All things have been reconciled through Christ. All things, absolutely everything. Two weeks ago, I began to speak with all of you, uh, if you recall, and I talked about that very thing, that through Christ, all things have been reconciled. All things have been brought back to the Father. And I began with two of the things, uh, just to give you a little bit of background here. There's four things that we need to be reconciled with. In fact, I'm just going to push through real quick, and I'm going to show them to you. We all need reconciliation. We are all in poverty because of the disconnect in relationship. Are you guys with me? Okay, a breakdown in relationship creates poverty. I'm going to unpack this a little bit for you if you weren't here last week, but we talked about, I'm sorry, two weeks ago, but we talked about this, and there's, there's a couple things that we need reconciled to. Primarily, it comes down to four things. The first thing that we need to be reconciled with is God himself, amen, amen? The second thing that we need to be reconciled with is our own self. When we are broken in our relationship with God through sin, what we end up finding is we cannot relate with God, but we also can't relate with ourself. We have these crazy things that happen, whether it's self-hatred, whether it's narcissism, whether it's pride, whether it's neglect, whatever it is, there's actually a breakdown in your own relationship when you're not reconciled with God. So first, you must be reconciled with God, but then as you're reconciled with God, He actually also allows you to become at peace with yourself. Amen? So we talked about those things two weeks ago, so we're not going to spend any more time on that right now. But I want to talk to you about the next two things that we need to be reconciled with. And uh, I'm believing we can get through both of them, but we'll just, we'll just play that by ear. Now here's, here's the next thing I want to talk about. We need to be reconciled with others. But, but I've, I've got to give you a little premise here. This message is about reconciling with God. But this message is about the fact that we carry hope, say hope, we carry hope for all nations because Christ is in us, the hope of glory. And, 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 I, and I shared with you a couple of weeks ago, but I'm going to restate this part because I think it's vital for us, that so often when we are talking, when we're dreaming, when we're thinking, when we're problem solving, when we're walking through this life as we all do, and we face day-to-day situations, we can end up in this, this uh, posture of being like, well, yeah, I'm a believer. and But when we say that, we mean it in sort of like a sweet by-and-by personal faith in Jesus kind of way. You, you know what I mean? Not like a powerful, vibrant, apply this right now because God wants to extend hope in his kingdom because it's the gospel of Jesus Christ, the hope of glory kind of way, but more of a I'm sure glad I got a personal faith in Jesus because otherwise, boy, I'd sure be depressed about not doing nothing while I'm on this earth and waiting for him to come kind of way. Maybe you feel like I'm laying it on a little thick. I kind of am. Let me read you a quote here. I I, I love this. You see, the, the gospel of the kingdom of Jesus Christ in whom all things are reconciled is the answer to every single problem on the earth it's not a answer it's not near the answer it is the answer it's the real honest to god creative explosive dynamic ridiculously how did you do that answer to every situation that you and i are facing right now but we live in a culture right now and we're a little bit the frog in the pot you know i mean when you, when you watch TV, you know, you see things like somebody will be like, well, like, I love the thing so often you see on television, and it's kind of a catchphrase, is somebody's going to do something that they know is not awesome, and what's the catchphrase? Don't judge me. And it's funny. <laughs> don't judge me. I'm doing the walk of shame. Don't judge me. Well, why is it called the walk of shame? Because you just did something you weren't supposed to do, and now you're telling me not to judge you. Why, why is this? Why is this? Because it's all good, right? You do what you want to do, I'll do what I want to do. We live in a culture that asks us to essentially lower our expectation on anybody connecting with an objective truth. And what that means is there aren't any real answers for any particular situation because all of us are expected to just sort of figure out what works best for us at any given time. Are you guys with me? Is it making sense? And so we're affected by this daily, and unless we're wash, unless we're actively interacting with after I kind of like that, that's a T-shirt actively interacting with the Holy Spirit then what we're going to find is that we begin to get mucked up in this kind of thinking. And we actually begin to believe that there aren't clear, concise, kairos sort of answers that are going to come from the word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ for the actual situation that we're facing. Instead, we're going to come from this personal faith kind of thing of like, I don't even know what to do. I mean, I don't know what to do in this context. I'll, uh, I'll single out Tito here for just a minute because he gave me the honor of getting to make some little uh, vignettes for him. Well, he created them, but he he interviewed me about the kingdom application in business and marketing, which I loved. Thank you, by the way. That was fun. And so I just did these... These tiny little snapshots of how you could apply the kingdom principles in business and marketing, and how it's the application of the second commandment. Well, the first commandment in that it creates objectivity, and that you must do things in a certain way, and then the second commandment is that I'm meeting your needs in a way that benefits you. I love you enough to where you can afford what I'm bringing to you, but it benefits me in that, it's, that it pays enough that I can make a profit and take care of my family. That's just a nutshell. And so I gave him the vignettes, and, uh, and he shared some feedback from one of his students, which I really appreciated. It was very cool to get some feedback. One of his students heard the vignette on applying the second commandment, which, by the way, comes from the gospel of the kingdom of Jesus Christ, okay? And their response was this. This is really, I'm going to paraphrase. This was really interesting. And by the way, the student was very respectful, very, very cool. So I'm not, I'm not making fun of them at all. But here was their response. Interesting concept. I like it on a certain level. But it doesn't actually apply or it would be hard to think of how it could possibly apply on a macro or international level. How could I possibly consider my competitors my neighbor? In other words, that's pretty cute as a personal faith. It just doesn't work in the real world. It doesn't really bring hope in an actual application. Now, the beauty of it is he's thinking about it or she. I can't remember if it was a girl or a boy. They're thinking about it, which is awesome. That's a beginning, right? We planted a seed. But what's the point? The point is the gospel of the kingdom of Jesus Christ, the father, the king and his kingdom, that comes through Jesus Christ is nice, but it's not powerful enough to inform how I'm actually going to live. Is that okay? Is that what's contained in Colossians where it says, in Christ, all things have been reconciled to God? And and further, it said, uh, I love love this aspect. Let me see if I can bring it up here. Oh, stop. There we go. I believe it's this one. The gospel keeps bringing blessing and spreading throughout the world, just as it has among you ever since the day you first heard about the grace of God and came to know it as it really is. If the kingdom, if the gospel of the kingdom actually reconciles all things, and we know that there are four main things in which all things must be reconciled, then, then it will bring, and this is true, then it will bring actual blessing to all of those areas. The last one being creation. I don't think we're probably going to have time to get to it, but I've got some fun stuff for that when I when I get to talk to you again in two weeks. But here's, here's the beauty of this. If everything is to be reconciled in Christ, then that means you will be able to find practical Answers, practical applications, and you will see actual fruit. This is great news. And he's writing a letter to these in Colossae, and he's saying the gospel keeps bringing blessing and is spreading throughout the world. And what does he mean? Like, the gospel is bringing some fancy live-in peace for a whole bunch of people who have a personal faith in an invisible kingdom that has no application in their real lives, and I'm pretty darn excited about it. As long as you don't offend anybody, continue the great work. That is not what that says. That says it keeps bringing blessing. And so we have a hope problem. You see, my brother or sister, uh, again that I use the example of, they can't see how a practical application of the kingdom would actually work. That, that seems crazy to them. Do you agree we have a problem? Okay, I hope that all of us are beginning to see there's areas of our lives where we don't actually expect tangible reconciliation and blessing to come from the gospel of Jesus Christ in our lives. We have put it off. I want to read a quote to you. It's a great quote from uh, uh, author Tim Keller, and then actually it's it's a couple quotes because it's a quote, some quotes from Tim Keller, and then some quotes actually from D.A. Carson, but I'm just going to read it to you in its entirety, and I love this little spot here. So in his article... The Gospel of Jesus Christ, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 19. D.A. Carson surveys the ethical directives. I love that. Ethical directives of 1 Corinthians. Come on, baby. That's some kingdom language right there. That says it's got application just dripping off of it. And he draws this conclusion This book repeatedly shows how the gospel rightly works out in the massive transformation. Say that, massive transformation. Of attitudes, morals, relationships, and cultural interactions. Just as Paul found it necessary to hammer away at the outworking of the gospel in every domain of the lives of the Corinthians, so we must do today. It doesn't take much to think through how the gospel must also transform the business practices and priorities of Christians in commerce, the priorities of young men steeped in indecisive but relentless narcissism, the lonely anguish and often the guilty pleasures of single folk who pursue pleasure but who cannot find happiness, and the tired despair of those living on the margins, and much more. And this must be done not by attempting to abstract social principles from the gospel, still less by endless focus on the periphery in a vain effort to sound prophetic, but precisely by preaching and teaching and living out in our churches the glorious gospel of our blessed Redeemer. Even though the gospel is a set of truths to understand and believe, catch this, even though the gospel is a set of truths to understand and believe, it cannot remain a set of beliefs if it is truly believed and understood. As Leslie Newbegin states, the Christian story provides us with such a set of lenses, not something for us to look at, but for us to look through. You see, the Bible, the Word of God, the story of God in history with man, the story of redemption and creation, transformation and kingdom, this is The lens that God has given us to look through and come up with very real transformational solutions to every problem until everything is reconciled through Christ Jesus. So when we say, that's cute, you've got a Jesus and that's great and the sweet by and by, maybe he'll tell us how to work that out. That is far short of what the word of God truly actually says. You see, through us, the gospel will continue to bring blessing and spread throughout the world. I want to give you a little bit of, I want to give you, a, I, want to, I want to put this together and maybe end some testimonies, because I, I really want this to sink in. I really want us to understand that, that when we say, I don't know what the troubles are, but I know the answer. The answer is the gospel of Jesus Christ and his kingdom, which is come and which is coming. And that that's not just a platitude, that's not just something to make you feel good, that's something to where I go, oh my goodness, in light of this reality of Christ in me, the hope of glory and the kingdom of heaven, how then must I live? Would you say that? How then must I live? You see, it touches every aspect of what we do. It touches every aspect of what we do. Let me give you an example. I read a fantastic book. I've spoken to you about it in the past, and it's called The Spirit of the Rainforest. How many of you have read that book? Fantastic book, yes? Amazing. It's about a shaman. It's written by a shaman. It's about several tribes within a group, a people group, in, uh, is it South America? In South America. Completely disconnected from almost all uh, civilization, they're they're living like four steps out of the Garden of Eden. But their life is completely dictated by the demonic. They're animists, and the culture that's created by allowing these demons—literally the doctrine of demons—the shamans are the governors of the tribes. And what they do is they open up, I can't remember what it was called, the, they're basically like their cabana. They open up their, their, their long house of their chest and they invite their spirit guides to come. And the spirit guides come and they guide them. And then the shaman shapes the culture. So he reports on what he's learned from these spirit guides. And the spirit guides all have different powers and they clash with one another. Here's the interesting thing about these cultures. These cultures are based completely on honor. And I don't mean that in the right sense of the word. Let me unpack that and revenge. Honor meaning that if you disrespect me or you take something from me, it will be blood for blood, tooth for tooth, life for life. And so what they do is then if something happens, if there's a problem, then you go and you attack the other tribe. So one tribe will attack another tribe. Several are killed. Those that survive survived take the bodies of those of their own tribe that have been killed. They take them and they strip them down and they take their bones and they save their bones. At a certain point, when things go wrong, then this tribe takes out the bones under the instruction of the, of the spirit guides. They, something Maybe there's some sickness or something came into the camp and the spirit guide will instruct them And the shaman will come and say, the reason why this sickness came into the camp is because the shaman from this other tribe is casting a spell on us. And so at that point, since it's been going on for long enough, they pull out the bones of those who've been killed by the other tribe. They grind the bones. They make it into a drink and you drink the bones of your dead relatives. And then you go and you attack the other tribe to inflict justice or revenge on your enemies. Enter the kingdom of heaven. The shaman comes to the Lord. The Lord comes and casts all the demons out of the shaman's house. And he begins to be led by the Spirit of God. As he does, one of the first things that God changes is he says, vengeance will be mine, says the Lord. Do not repay evil for evil, For I will bring a recompense or I will bring a reckoning on my own. You're not allowed to take vengeance anymore. You're no longer allowed to grind the bones of your own family, think secondary offense, and ingest them into yourself to bring justice on your enemies. I have brought justice, and you will no longer inflict it. You will. Actually, extend forgiveness. This culture was so violent that they were literally heading into extinction because of the belief system in the kingdom of which they were a part. When the kingdom of heaven came and this shaman began to put into motion, into practice, the What was it? The ethical directives of the kingdom of heaven. They began to forgive from the heart and exercise forgiveness that when their enemy did attack them, though they would defend themselves, they would not kill their enemy. And it changed the culture. That's a far cry from the sweet by and by. You see because the gospel of Jesus Christ is so simple, we can mistake it for simplistic. I want us all to understand that we stand on at least 2,000 years, 2,014 actually, years of the mountain that's been built by the gospel of Jesus Christ and his bride on earth. And you stand in the most free and established and long-standing bastion of freedom created by the ideals of the kingdom of heaven, though violated in some ways in its most established place in all of the earth. You eat from the table of the bounty created by the blessing that the gospel of Jesus Christ creates for both the wicked and the righteous. And when we criticize and we find ourselves in these smug places of intellectual eyebrow raising at the foolishness of those that would say the gospel of Jesus Christ is the answer, <laughs> it's much more complicated than that. Understand where you, stand, where you are standing and at, whom ta- and, and at whose table from which you eat. It's only from that perspective of ultimate freedom and opulence in which we all live. How many of you have a car? Raise them high, how many of you have a car? Seriously, everybody, okay? You're in the 5% club of the entire population of the entire earth. You are in the 5% club of the richest people in the entire earth. You are one of the few 5% who own a car. And some of you own two or three. Don't feel guilty, feel blessed, but understand where you are. So when we look at these things and we act as though there's these complexities that make it like sort of ununderstandable of how to apply the kingdom of heaven, realize that so much of what you see is the application of the kingdom of heaven. And you and I are called by God to engage our minds and our hearts and our bodies and apply the scriptures as we see life through the lens of them. Are you with me? And that is a hope-filled message, is it not? You see, when we walk out what the Word actually says, and let's just, let's just focus in on this one, because I'm, I'm, I'm going to finish for today, and I'm going to come at you with creation in a couple of weeks here. But if we would just take that first one. You see, you and I are required to obey God. He says, you are my friends if you do what I command. How many of us, this is a very real one, and I I promise I'm not sharpshooting, I'm just telling you that this here, if we would just begin with this, no, as we just begin with this one thing, it will defeat Satan. It will strengthen us. It will restore us, and it will protect us, it will bless us, and we will be more blessed in our life than you could even believe. And it's simply this. If your brother offends you, go to them. Oh, but I'm not really sure how I would talk to him. He didn't put that in there. He didn't say, go get counsel. He didn't say, ask a few people. He didn't say, decide that you know what's going on in their heart. He said, go to them and simply say, I'm offended. Could you help me understand this? And and yet, how many of us give ourselves permission to, rather than see the word and apply it and look through the lens of what he actually asks us to do, we are completely disobedient. We make up reasons not to. Whether it's their station, whether it's the timing, whether it's my job schedule. what There's a million reasons. Let's just go straight to the real one. I'm scared to death. That's scary. And it's so humiliating. I have to let them know they have power in my life. I have to let them know that they've affected me. There's a million reasons and I don't have time to go into them. But the Bible doesn't tell you to go get counsel at that point. The Bible doesn't tell you to go tell a bunch of other people. The Bible doesn't tell you to rally others to your cause to see if you need to go to them. It simply says, as a kingdom individual, go to them. Just go to them and tell them, and you will win your brother back. And if it doesn't work out, grab another brother and have them mediate. It doesn't mean grab a brother and gang up on him. Now you're going to... No, it's, you're bringing them in. You're bringing a wise person who will win you back to each other. How many of you could receive that word? How many of us right now, don't, you don't have to raise your hand. I'm, I'm not interested in raising hands. How many of us right now actually are realizing, like, I am so disobedient in this area. I am, I am siding with the destroyer. I hang out with the accuser of the brethren and I I go and buy his lunch and I bring it to him and I rub his feet while he destroys my family. And I feel righteous about it. Oh God, I'm sleeping with the enemy. Forgive me. I've sinned against you. I've sinned against my brother. I've sinned against my tribe and I've sinned against my family. Oh, but the blood, oh good, the blood, okay. Forgive me. And you know what, forgiveness is available. But forgiveness comes after you admit I am guilty. Not shame, conviction, I am guilty. And Lord, God help me, I never, ever, ever want to carry the accuser of the brethren's bags again. Now I know this is a very straightforward word. Paul at one point says, I know that I've made you sad and I don't rejoice that I made you sad. I'm sorry that I have. But I do rejoice that it made you sad if it led you to repentance. I'm sorry if I've made you sad. But may we rejoice together if we'll repent and as for this house, this tribe, my family, my brothers and sisters, we, we will rejoice because the gospel keeps bringing blessings and it's spreading throughout the world because you and I, we go to each other. We fulfill this commandment to love our neighbor and there are many others, but this is where we start in this house.